Good morning to our Friday morning Torah study. And we welcome those listening online or on a podcast as we begin our study this morning of Parshat Naso, which is the second portion in the book of Numbers. So let us say our bracha together to begin Torah study. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, God, Spirit of the universe, who makes us holy with your commandments and calls us to engage with the words of Torah. So uh, we are having uh, some computer challenges here this morning. Um, so there's a couple of things I wanted to give you that I'm not going to be able to give you. Uh, but we're going to look at two, two different pieces of text this morning. Um, in the triennial division, which is where we usually read, we are at the bringing of gifts uh, from all of the different heads of the tribes uh, to the communal <laughs> service of the, of the Mishkan, the tribal chief's gifts. Um, not the most exciting portion in the world uh, as we get a list of silver bowls and heifers and bulls and other things. Um, so we're going to look at what happens just before that, uh, before we get to these gifts that they bring when the Mishkan is completed. Um, and then we're going to look at the very, very end uh, of Parshat Naso. So we're going to look at two little pieces of text. One is chapter 6, starting at verse 22. That's going to be the first te text that we look at this morning. And the eighth time, it's 804-829 in the Women's Torah Commentary. So, you know that we, because of Bert Kleinman's genius and commitment, we are able now to have this podcast and sermons by Rabbi Rubin and other wonderful things that happen here, classes and lectures. We're able to have them on the internet as a podcast. So, we've been getting lots of uh, hits, which is always lovely. Um, some people have been listening from abroad. And there is a family who's been listening from Germany um, who have been listening each week and watching us online. Um, and they are here this Shabbat uh, to officially join the Jewish people. They have been living a Jewish life uh, and raising their son uh, in the Jewish tradition. And they will complete their... Um, they've done mikvah and they will con complete their conversion tonight uh, with Rabbi Rubin. So we would like uh, very much to welcome you to Torah study and uh, are glad that you are joining us this morning. And uh, we should remember that it's none of our business uh, what we teach and what we create as long as we're about the best of what we can be. We never know whose lives are going to be touched by what it is we choose to make ourselves busy with. So we are making ourselves busy this morning with the words on uh, page 829 in the Women's Torah Commentary. Somebody want to begin reading the English, please. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons. Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord deal kindly and graciously with you. The Lord bestow his favor upon you and grant you peace. Thus shall they link my name with the people of Israel, and I will bless them. All right, so right after this whole business of um, lots of different kinds of descriptions of what the priest is to do and, and what kinds of offerings to make in certain circumstances, right after the uh, discussion of the Nazarite comes this kind of piece of text that's become incredibly uh, important for us and has survived through the millennia for us as a powerful piece of liturgy. So what, what we get at verse 22 is more that God speaks to Moshe and says, speak to Aaron and his son. So you, Moshe, take this message to Aaron and the priests. And what are you going to say to them? Ko tevarchu et b'nei Yisrael. In this way will you bless the people of Israel, 
Amor lahem, you will say to them, meaning here comes a quote. When it's, when it's vayidaber, it's more about, here's what you're going to say. When it's amor lahem, it's, this is what the priests are going to say. Here comes the quotation marks. What are they going to say? Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. So may God, what? What do we know about the word, the Shoresh, Bevechcha? What does that Shoresh always mean? What does that root always mean? Bless. So, bless. Okay, so may God, because now God is the agent of this, right? Yivarechcha. May he bless you. Who? Adonai, right? So, may God bless you. The Yishmarecha. What is Shamor? Shamor is guard. So to guard or to keep, to protect, right? Shamor Shabbat, right? You shall keep Shabbat. Oh, look who's here, Eleanor. Would you mind very much bringing me my dry uh, erase? Markers, that would be fantastic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Eleanor saves the day once again. Um, <clears throat> all right, so the Yishmarecha. Thank you, Reuben, for keeping me on track. So may God bless you and may God protect you. Why are these two things together? May God bless you. Why is the next verb and protect you? Or keep you. From what? Ha. From what would be a legitimate question. So the rabbis, of course, are going to ask the same question. Why, Davka, is the word shamor put with this idea of bracha, of blessing? What's up with that? Yes, Rick. Well, if you're not blessed, then it follows that you may not be protected. So if you want to be protected, you want to be a blessing. So if protected is already included in blessed, why do they have to say it? So the rabbis ask the same question. So if I'm blessed, what, why does protection need to come right after that, assuming that I'm blessed? So the rabbis have to start asking themselves, well, what do these words exactly mean? What, what is meant by yivarechcha exactly? So what is the barachcha? What is it? And that might tell us why we might need this business about shamoring. Right? I, I think there's a midrash that says bless you with things and protect you from worshiping them. So the rabbis have one interpretation that Bert has <coughs> accurately remembered, but this is not working very well. Um, and that is that what does bless mean? It means the blessing of material wealth. That's what blessing is in this case, say the rabbis. So if you are blessed with material wealth, every blessing, every opportunity, every stage of growth, every something new that's happening to us, or something good that's happening to us, comes with a challenge, comes with a danger. So what's the danger that comes with material wealth? Idolatry. You think that's the most important thing? Idolatry. May God bless you, and may God protect you from it. May you be blessed with material wealth, and may God protect you from it. May it not change you. May it not take you down a path that is no longer the path of blessing. Right? It's quite the opposite. So may you be protected from worshiping it, from changing, from allowing it to overtake you. Say the rabbis. So... Most likely, this originates, of course, in a, an understanding of, of blessing and protection in lives that were very vulnerable. Um, so certainly that layer is still there for the rabbis, but the, this deeper understanding of when we are blessed with things, it sometimes is easy to forget the source of that blessing and to forget that it is a blessing. 
right? I've only lived here three years. I was in northern Minnesota for 14 years, and I already forget to take this weather as the gift and the blessing that it is every day. It doesn't take us long to take things for granted, right? So, this first idea of watch the pattern of the priestly benediction. It is very purposefully crafted. It's beautiful. How many words in the first line? Uh, I'm being attacked by the blackboard. Three lines, three words in the first. Line. How many words in the second line? Five. Wait, where are you? Where the priestly 24. blessing. Verse 24. How many in the third line? Just on Hebrew words. He Hebrew words. Hebrew words, not English. Three and twenty-four. Seven. Three, five, seven. Correct. Three, five, seven. Okay? So if you're looking at tzitzit, when we tie the knots, right, it's this jump for through odd numbers on the tzitzit as well. So this jump, you know, three, five, seven, th this is a familiar pattern from the ancient world, from ancient Israel. The second word of every line is what? Adonai. Adonai. Yup. Remember, we're reading this way, right? <laughs> Yud hey vav hey is the second word of every single line, and what comes? What's the what kind of word is the first word? I'll explain later. Uh, uh, it's, <coughs> it's a verb, right? So there's a verb that is being requested of. God in this blessing, right? So may God do this and write a clause on the other side. In this case, it's just a verb. But, but the clause on this side is also going to be a verbal clause, right? It's just a little more verbose. So may yud hey vav hey do this to you. And this to you is the structure. Rabbi, I don't see any may in the... In the uh... <laughs> yes. Good point, Ribbon. So the Hebrew is... Hebrew is a lot simpler than English. English is a very complicated language. Hebrew is very straightforward. So there is no may. It's implied. It's the, it's the command form of the future tense. Okay, the actual, but that's that's like, the, even in the English, there's no may in, in the translation, in our translation. Right, so it's God bless you and keep you is the, is the actual wording. And it sounds like future tense because um, say, to, say to them. That God shall, should always means future. Right? I, I'm not going to bless you with God blessed you and protected you. Right? Because right? so, it, it's, an, it's an action that's being requested. It's a hope. It's, an, it's a hope. It's an activating formula that something should happen to you starting now. Right? So it is future-based. So it, in English, it might make sense to put may God bless you because it's polite. Or will. So what's, what's fascinating, Reuben, that you bring up is that blessing is actually a fairly chutzpahdik practice. Right? Why do I say that? In what way? Why am I saying that? Reuben's right. It doesn't say may. That you have the power to bless someone? And we're invoking God's going to bless you. Right? What I'm actually saying is, God, bless Reuben. 
right? So if I don't say, may God bless you, it can say, because it's really a rather chutzpahdik thing to say, we're kind of commanding this to happen through our action. Well, in English, that's imperative. imperative. Yes. Uh, does Hebrew have that construct? Yes, the is imperative. That what this is? Yes, this it's is the imperative. Okay. Yes, it is. Yes, and and the and the imperative, like <coughs> the, the structure, is future tense, right? That yud of he singular future, future tense, future imperative. But it's God speaking here and saying uh, to Moses, "Tell your brother and uh, his progeny." Uh, that I will or what? How beautiful is this? God says, I give you permission to invoke me and make me bless them every time you do that. That's fantastic. How amazing is that? Right? Well, but, it, but is it because it's, it's also, at first you said it's, it's chutzpahdik and it's, you know, that you're commanding God to bless someone and that, to me, that's really an uncomfortable feeling because the normal English way you think of it is, you know, may God bless you, right? Or just it's implied, may God, if somebody sneezes, you say, God bless you. And it's, it's almost a request, and it comes from the heart. So it's not a command. It doesn't feel chutzpahdik at all. In fact, it feels rather menschy. <laughs> Isn't it a belief among some Jews that this was written by God? <clears throat> sure. So that it was okay for God to say that. Sure. God's giving permission, clearly. Yeah. It's clearly okay, but we made this up. We made this up. What a crazy thing. The way we say thank you is, blessed is God who? Blessed be God. Really, so we have the power to make God blessed? Really? That's the chutzpah dick piece. Like the we, so it's not really in the, in the asking of blessing. It's more in the, Baruch atah Adonai business of, that's how we say thank you, is blessed be God, and from, from the earliest time to say, right, Baruch Shem like we have the power somehow to affect God's blessedness. That's fantastic. I mean, you could also just see that as acknowledging the truth. We're just, we're not giving our blessing to God or... We but are that, acknowledging God is blessed, uh -huh. right? So we say blessed is God the blessed one. So we already acknowledge that God is blessed. But we add something. We're going to participate in the action that somehow impacts God's blessedness. Right? So for us, it's a relationship. It's, it's a relationship of... Of give and take. The rabbis say if we eat something, if we enjoy something without making a blessing, we've, we are stealing from God because we're not giving back to the shefa, to the overflow, to the cycle of blessed, blessing, thank you, yay, giving. Right? We're, we, if we're not participating in that, we're taking only. That, that the universe somehow needs us to give that bracha to keep the divine shefa flowing in the world. Right? That's a fantastic notion, I think. I think the hope dimension of this is also important because you get back to the may. If, if one doesn't believe that we can cause God, whatever that means, to do things, then how do we understand this? For me, part of this is it is an expression of hope. That you hope well, someone will be safe. Yeah, it, it is all I can do. All I can do as a person is invoke, is is invoke, yudhevave, in the hope. But I don't. This is just personally. I don't believe that whatever I say or think can change that just by me <coughs> thinking it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can pray for somebody's. I can pray for someone's health. To me, that is an expression of hope and communion with them, etc. Not that I think that because I prayed, therefore God will come down and cure that person's cancer. If, if I may, you're, uh, as, a, as an individual or as a rabbi blessing a congregation or as a parent blessing a child, you say, may, I, yeah, I, I hope, I hope yeah. that this, this is will, what I want. But, but this is quite different. There's nothing in here that suggests may. This is a command. This is, this is a command. This is a command. It's fantastic. I, I will do this. God is saying, I will do this. 
Mm-hmm. When you invoke it, right, I, it will be. This, they will be blessed, right, through this. Let's look at the second one. Yisa Adonai Panav Elecha. Oh, sorry. Ya'er Adonai Panav Elecha. What is Ya'er from? Again, this you know, imperative. What's it from? Mm -mm. The Yud is the imperative, right, of future tense. So take off the Yud and what are you left with? Just put a, put a vowel in there. By vowel, any vowel? By vowel. Or. What is or? Life. Okay, good. We're getting there. We're getting there. The imperative of light as a verb is ya'er. Huh? May God light you. From leha'ir, right, to, to cause to light. So, so... It's more like enlighten, but what's being enlightened? What's being lit up? What is God causing to be lit up? Your face. Whose face? His face. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Whatever the gender So may God, you're right, the gender here is clearly male. I mean, that's the way it is. Um, may, so in, in Ruben's pointing out, we're going to parenthesize may, God light up God's face toward you. What did you say? Well, <laughs> this says the Lord deal kindly and graciously with that's you. That's the next one. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's yeah. that line. It's a different <laughs> translation. <laughs> so what does this mean? May God cause God's face to light up towards you. What do you think that is? It reminds me of Moses not being able to look at God's face. <laughs> and now we're saying, it's all there for you. I'm shining it at you. I'm shining it at you. So the at you seems important, doesn't it? It's not just, may God's face be shining. It's at you. So in the language of the ancient world, kings, right? Uh were said to grant an audience to someone, and when they granted that audience, they were shining the light of their face on their subject, meaning the subject was allowed into the presence of the face of the king, right, into an audience. That already was an act of grace. Yes? For the king to allow someone to approach and give them an audience was already a big deal and gracious. So may God essentially allow you into God's presence where you will be over and against the light of God's face. What's the opposite of that? Reflect it back too. Darkness. So the, op the opposite is hiding of the face. And when the rabbis talk about evil and in Kabbalah, when they talk about you know, how, how is there evil in the world? If God is everywhere and God is everything, how can there be evil? And the rabbis talk about it as hester panim, the hiding of the face. So that's the metaphor used to talk about not being the recipient of this presence, right? Of, of being in God's presence. And that's an act of chen, of there's just the, the best English word is grace. Chen. Chen. May God graceify you. Right? So if we say that already that's an act of chen, say the rabbis that God's allowing you into God's presence, you're already graceified. Why does it have to add, may the light of God's face shine towards you and give you grace? You've already gotten grace, right, by kind of being in the divine presence. So the rabbis, what do we go back to? That every opportunity presents a challenge, right? So if you're standing in God's presence and you're kind of aware that God's face is shining on you, what might the rabbis interpret as the danger of that? How could that be dangerous? 
too much, that you're so, so special. No, you, yeah, special. That you might start to think you are something special. And all I have to do is think of right-wing fundamentalists of any religion or any political party. And what, and what do they think? That they speak the only truth there is, right? That they know God's mind and God's word and God's will. And terrible, terrible, terrible things happen when we believe we have access to the only truth, right? Terrible things happen and lots of innocent people suffer. So the rabbis say, yes, you should fully understand that you are in the presence of God and may the answer to that danger be that you stay in a place of chen, right? That you stay in a place of grace and graciousness to others. Um, sorry to add the, uh, the, the counterweight back from the, uh, the, the depths, but the, the opposite is also true. And I agree with everything you said, that when you feel you're too blessed and you're too special and you're fundamentalist, that terrible things can happen. But the opposite is true, because when you move completely away from God, and some of the greatest evil in the history of humankind has been done by secularists, by communists, who have completely and others who have completely turned away from God. So it really, maybe the circle comes together, but it's... Sure, I mean, the whole, the whole point is that the people are coming into the presence of the priests for the blessing, right? You, you have to be already in a state of understanding that we're about to be blessed and that there's a force bigger than us that we're in relationship with that's the source of this blessing. Yes, so right? I guess just to summarize, my point is both extremes... When sure. you completely turn away from God, or when you, you take you know, God's word and you, you, you act in, in an incorrect way, judge people, because you feel that God is totally on your side, both can create um, tremendous problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's why you're, you're, they're standing in the presence of the priests, so we're not really going to, they don't address that end. They're addressing the, the end of people who are already showing up. All right, let's look at the final one. Rabbi, I just wanted to ask, does this word Cain and come anywhere from... No, no, it comes from... How did you do this? It comes from... I, my printing is terrible, I'm sorry. I only write cursive. Neatly. <laughs> This is where Kainahara comes from. That when you want to protect someone, you are you protecting them from? You're protecting them from the Ainahara, the evil eye. So you you make a gesture, right? Foot foot foo is my <laughs> grandmother, right? Foot foot foo, Kineged Ainahara. It gets slurred and Yiddishized, so you don't hear the neget, the you know this part, but it's kenainhara. Kainahara is keneget einhara. May this be neget einhara. And I do this because it's the chamsa, right? The chamsa always has an eye in it. So in the ancient Near East, it was a universal symbol in the whole region um, of a talisman that would keep the evil eye <laughs> away. And so, and then there was a verbal component, kind of hard. My grandmother used to tell the joke that the little girl with the curls and the great big eyes with long eyelashes and rosy cheeks and ivory skin would get on the bus every day. And so one day she gets on the bus with her mother and she sits down next to this lovely old couple who look at her and say, what is your name, little girl? girl? And she says, Poo Poo Kenahara. You <laughs> <laughs> can't stump her. That was a good try. But you did not stump when, the rabbi. <laughs> Today. When did the evil line graduate to become the devil? They're not the same thing. No. no. They're different things. They're related, but they're, they're different things. The devil is different from, from the Ayn Hara. I hear a lot of people use 
also like like so glad it happened, like Kanahar. No, okay. no, no, never, never. If you say something good, you're inviting the demons to make it not so. You're tempting fate. So when you talk about something good, you say Kanahara. Yeah. May the demons not undo it. Oh, that's why. You're making them jealous. You never talk about your good fortune out loud <laughs> without some word of protection. Because they're going to come make it not so. That's why the little girl thought her name was Pupu Kanahara. <laughs> Right, because everybody would say, oh, what a beautiful little girl, Pupu Kinahara. Because <laughs> you can't say something good without <clears throat> protecting or the child or whoever, because, right, the demons are going to try to make it not so. <laughs> All right, let's look at this last one. You're not saying we ought to, you're just saying that's the superstition. I'm just saying that's the that's superstition, happening. that I, I grew up with it yeah. for sure. Right. You know, salt over the left shoulder. Like if you were going to say something that might happen and you don't want it to happen, you have to throw salt over your <laughs> left shoulder. What is the source of these demons? Is that ever discussed? That is a whole other discussion that we can have a class on. We could have a whole class on angelology and demonology. Um, but they're universal. They're, we're no different than other people's. They're, it's universal that there are angels and demons. We made it. We we were the first ones to have malachim to have angels, but um, but you know, magical, mystical beings have existed throughout time. So we create some of our own, but we, we're always borrowing from the cultures around us. We're part of terrestrial human culture, so we have those impulses as well within our own tradition, um, and they continue to evolve. As we were among the Babylonians and some other people, we get a very complicated angelology and demonology living among the Babylonians. All right. I did my biblical year thesis on angels. Because when I was in rabbinical school a million years ago, um, angels were the big thing, you know, like in the New Age community. Um, and they would invoke all these angels that I knew from the Torah. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> something just feels wrong about that. So I did this whole paper on, on where they originate and then how do they evolve and, what it, and how did it become the crazy thing it is today. All right, let's look at this last line. Yisa Adonai panav elecha vayasem lecha shalom. What is this first verb? What is its origin? It's from the name of the Parsha. I'll give you a clue. It says here literally to turn one's head in your direction. No. It's the last one. No, that is not literal. <clears throat> well, it's wrong. <laughs> God forbid I would ever say a scholar is wrong. Um, it's not my understanding. This verb is literally the verb to lift up. Right? The, our parsha begins, that you will lift up the heads of the Israelites and count them. It is literally to lift up. We pray that God no say avon vafesha on Yom Kippur. No say avon vafesha vechata benake in the 13 attributes. What does that mean? That God who lifts sin from us. It's literally to lift, to lift up. So what would this mean? That God should lift up what? Panav. What did we just say that was? Face. God should lift up God's face toward you. What does that mean? Pay attention. Pay attention to you. Okay? Because otherwise, God's face is down, and God's not paying attention. We have to remind God to pay attention. Or otherwise, maybe you're not worth it. Maybe this is a statement about self-worth. So may you feel worthy of God paying attention to you? Okay. It is unattested in the ancient world, this idea of the king lifting up the face in terms of you know, a position of the head or of the face. There is, uh, in our own literature, um, though... This idea that if somebody receives favor, that their, it's nisu panim, right? That their face is lifted up. So it's more of a, it's more of, my face is lifted up when I receive favor. So that doesn't work. 
of God. Like I think about when I go to, to my daughter and I'm filled with love and pride and whatever, right? What do I do? I lift her face, right? But that's the other end. But we do have um, an expression that uh, we get an assurance from God that lo apil panai bachem in Jeremiah, and I will not drop my countenance toward, you know, towards them. So it seems that dropping the countenance, what, what does that say to you? Disappointment. Because what, what does it literally mean to drop the countenance? To look down or to, to not be looking at you anymore. I mean, if I picture somebody dropping their face, you know, it's, it's a... Turning away. Okay, so if it's about this, if it's about a position of the face like this, right? So what it can, what the what the, some of the rabbis say is, if I lift my face, it means I have forgiven you. I'm, I'm gonna, I can face you. You know that that when my face is when I can't look at you, it's because I've not. There's something you've done that I can't deal with. I can't connect with you. Something's going on that prevents that connection. So the rabbis kind of understand that as, you know, may God forgive you, therefore be able to look at you, like you, that you're back in right relationship. But look at just, what if I don't move my head? What would dropping my countenance be? How would that show? Lack of affect, maybe. Or a frown. A knitted brow, a frown, right? Averted eyes, whatever. What would the opposite of that be? Smile. May God lift, may God's countenance be lifted up towards you. Meaning, may you make God smile. May the divine face be lifted, right? And not dropped when looking at you. Okay. This then would be, so may, my face will not be dropped against them, right? That, that's that countenance of darkness, of anger, of disappointment, of shame, of something bad's about to happen. Right? When mommy has that face or dad has that face, it's not good. Right? Whatever's coming is not going to be good. Right? So <clears throat> may the opposite be the case. May God's face be lifted up towards you. Right? And may God seem, may God place, may God grant, may God put, all the same word in Hebrew, on you, to you, what? Shalom. Shalom. What does that mean? Wholeness. Why is that the end of that phrase? Wholeness. Wholeness. What is the relationship there? Your actions and your deeds are such that they please God, then you will feel a sense of rightness and wholeness and completion. Lovely. Isn't this, this also is being spoken to the Israelites plural, so the wholeness can also be a wholeness of Israel. So it, it is Not said to Israel. them as a group, but it is addressed lecha. You singular. So it's a, it's a so moving from the singular mm -hmm. to Bert's point to the collective, right? All right. So, so the there's another way of understanding shalom, the offering that is the shlamim offering, right? The offering we we see peace offering. Usually, people don't need to make peace with God. That's not why they bring an offering. It's the offering of, the better interpretation that I've read is, it's the offering of greeting. Shalom, right? You know, you ask after the wholeness of someone when you're greeting them, and that, that is an act of friendship. And we see attested in the literature that God says, I will give them briti shalom, my covenant of, wholeness is not a great translation, I don't think. My covenant of, Greeting, my covenant of friendship. That this is a reciprocal 
relationship and that God voluntarily enters into a covenant of friendship with the with the people is is a huge source of joy and pride and whatever f- for us yes so it might be and so it may God's countenance be lifted up i like to say because of you right you know as god looks at you as god encounters <laughs> you um and may god grant you friendship companionship because when we are behaving in a way right that would make that would please god we are entering into a relationship and it is a state i mean it's not i'm not going to ignore the 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 aspect of wholeness it's absolutely there i think it's more that wholeness is about we are in right relationship with the divine that's when we are that's when we feel the best that's when we are truly whole that is when we are at peace but peace in that way that's that deep abiding sense that everything is right with the world even if it isn't right (laughs) right when somebody's sick when you're worried when you're waiting for the test results to come back there's these moments of shalom you also have every day these choices that you're making you know should i do this thing where it's going to really benefit me but maybe i you know but i promised somebody that i would do something else and you go with the thing that is the right thing to do you know you 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 your right relationship with god right and you feel good about your decision because that was you know made god lift his countenance by doing something that maybe wasn't easy but these just choices all the time about you know how do you how do you live in right relationship with god what's the best way to do it and i think that kind of peace and that's, that's really how I translated every bar and bat mitzvah, or you know, every time I bless my child, is, you know, is may God's countenance be lifted up because of who you choose to be in the world. Because those choices happen lots of times a day, right. right? That whether we lift the divine countenance or cause God to go, <laughs> really? Steal that parking spot or... <laughs> I'm wondering, excuse me, why there is no, uh, the the word face doesn't appear in the translation at all, in 25 or 26. Why do you think that is, Reuben? Well, I have a rabbi here to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Really? You think I'm going to let it off that easy? Ours says the Lord bestow his favor upon you and grant you. So why is the face avoided? Why is that word avoided in the English translation? Because we can't, we don't have an image of God. We're not allowed to image God. God can't have a face. This translation is all about our nervousness at anthropomorphizing God. I believe partly because we live in a Christian context, right? We live in Christian society. And so there's, there is a personification of God that we are always living in that's not our we're always saying we don't have an image of God we don't have God embodied everybody is the face of God right but we do come from a tradition that anthropomorphizes God in using it as metaphor it's fine it doesn't make me at all nervous to say to any child here may God's face shine upon you right that doesn't make me nervous, but it makes a lot of people really nervous, right? The idea of God having a face. It's like, we're not saying God has a face. Vesemir, we're saying... <laughs> but this, this particular uh, uh, version uh, is, was created by forward-looking, strong women, and yet you're saying that they are influenced uh, by... This translation is not a new translation, I do not believe. This is the t- women's Torah commentary. So the commentary is all by women. I, I believe they used, I'm almost po- 100% positive, they used an existing translation. But, but, but there is, because we've done this over the years, 
to note there are minor differences between mm -hmm. the translations and they generally are gender specific. So there are... Right, they gender neutralized the and, Hebrew. And certain other minor translations. Right. But they did not retranslate. It's, it's but, but it is interesting that they didn't choose to yeah. monkey yeah. with it more. Um, it's, very, it's very telling to me that the translations don't say face. It says more about us and where we're at right now than anything else. It says something about us who translated it. Right? That it makes us, clearly it makes us nervous. Interesting to look at the Greek and see what they... <laughs> right? Because in Hebrew it's very clear. I mean, it couldn't be clearer. Right, right. Panash. In the eighth time in the commentary they use face. Right. But not in the translation. Right. So in this case, face would be the symbol representing God's attention and care towards us? Okay. Mm -hmm. And let me read you from Koha Neshama, the Reconstructionist Prayer Book. May the Eternal bless you and protect you. May the Eternal's face give light to you and show you favor. May the Eternal's face be lifted up toward you and bestow upon you peace. We Reconstructionists are not nervous. Um, I'm going to give it to you uh, because it has some interesting uh, commentary. And I put for you on, the, and you can keep this at home. Bless each other. Bless someone over the phone on a Friday night, grandchildren, a best friend who's struggling. Just, just keep it somewhere. It's a lovely thing to offer someone blessing. We don't do this enough anymore, I don't think. They're coming. Um, we don't give or receive blessing nearly as much as we need. We don't get enough hugs. And we don't spend enough time in nature, and we don't get enough blessing. Right? So, Kenyihiratzon is the traditional response. May it be the will, meaning God's will. That's what the congregation says, right? So, or whoever's blessing, the, the person receiving the blessing, or the congregation responds, yes, may that be God's will. Right? Um, I've given you on the back, Rabbi Shefa Gold's interpretation playing now you'll understand it because it's playing on everything that we talked about in the commentary somebody read the bold of shefa's translation of the of the priestly blessing and she says god commands the priest the priest or priestess within each one of us to bless each other with these words someone read it may god bless you and guard you may god shine his face upon you and praise you May God lift up his face to you and give you peace. May you be filled with the divine flow and may its essence transform you so that you are protected from your habits of distortion. May the fierce and loving light of God shine through all illusions of self, dissolving the walls that seem to keep out the miracles of grace. May the face of God that is hidden in everything remove its mask and reveal the truth of our interconnectedness. And may the love that shines through the face of all things give you peace. Thank you. In the second line, it says faces? No, she line? says it. No, I understand. That, that is correct. The she, S on faces. In her, yeah. She's, so if yeah. you look at the Hebrew, there is a Yud. And it is plural. In Hebrew, the word face is plural. Panim. Panim is plural. So could, could we say then that it might be a, an alternate translation rather than faces would be attributes? A hundred percent. And then depending on, depending on what you need at the time. hundred percent. That's the attribute that graces you. I think that is what Shefa means mm -hmm. by putting the plural. Do you know what I mean? She knows that in English it's not plural. I think by invoking the Hebrew plural, which is singular, right? The Hebrew plural doesn't mean plural, but it might come from a sense of plurality of faces, um, meaning expressions, meaning moods, meaning attributes, that I think Shefa is doing exactly that, invoking 
what may, may whatever face of the divine you need right now, shine, you know, that shine upon Elohim. Yes. A plural, but yes. tra always translated. Collective. As For us in English, um, it would be something like. Um, Right? Waters, seas, it's the waters parted. Well, it's not plural. It means a body of water, but, right? So it's a, it's a what do they call it? A collective singular? Plurality. It's in Latin, it's pluralia tantum. And what is that translated into English? Uh, the, the plurality of many things together. In one. So milk. Is not, there's no milks, for example, right? <laughs> Beautiful. So milk, perfect. There isn't milks. That's a verb, right? Not a plural noun, right? So the yes. Panim in Yiddish. Panim. It's from panim. Yes, but that's also the plural. It's panim. Yes. Is there a singular? No, because it's from the Hebrew. Panim. The Yiddish is a singular. Right. The Hebrew and Yiddish are what we just said. They are a plurality that is a single thing. So, Rabbi, is this the priestly blessing? Yes. So this is the zappage. Yes. This is the zappage. So this is the command of God to Aaron and the priest saying, when you bless these people, this is how you shall do it. So this is God's instruction and it's called bracha hameshuleshet. Right? From the word Shalosh. So the threefold blessing. How would you read the uh, face of all things That's in that last line? Um, I think it is Shefa, Rabbi Gold, I shouldn't call her Shefa. I know her as Shefa, mm -hmm. but I should be more respectful. Rabbi Gold is saying, I think, um, that there, the face of God, right, may you see, because she says earlier, may you see you know, God in everything, right? May the face of God that is hidden in everything remove its mask and reveal the truth of our interconnectedness, right? And may the love that shines through the face of all things, there's only one, right? It's all one. It's all connected. Everything is God. Everything is the face of God. May that, may that the love that flows through that grant you peace. Theologically speaking, is there a, any substantive difference between the way that we understand, as she puts it, the miracle of grace, and the way Christians understand the miracle of grace? So that is a very long conversation that I'm not unwilling to have at some point. That's a great, it's a very interesting question. The simple answer is yes and no. <laughs> so, so no, there's no, there's no difference in the divine attribute of chen. What that results in, I'm hoping someone just sent that lovely commentary to someone. Um, that what that results in is different. So the, the, the divine attribute of chen means what's going to happen is going to be good and unearned. It is out of God's own attribute of grace, of beneficence, that this is going to happen. What happens for us is obviously not that the word becomes flesh. Or that, or that, the, or that the grace becomes redemptive. Correct. In other words, it's sort Correct. of like, it's sort of, in, in our view, it is something that you get from God that you didn't deserve, don't really deserve that sort of improves your relationship with God. Yes. In Christianity, when I teach it, you know, at the university level, in Christianity, sin is paired with sin is paired with redemption. One is redeemed from sin. Right? That is God's grace. God, in God's grace, by granting God's grace, redeems the human being from sin because it is not possible to earn 
redemption from sin without the Christ and without and that comes about through God's grace. All right. Okay. What is the combination? Then this shocks people when I teach this to non-Jews mm -hmm. at the college level. What is the pairing in our tradition? Truba. Huh? Truba. Sin and repentance. <laughs> Meaning, it's already possible. We don't need. There is no redemption from sin. For for sin, you need. Atonement. So then isn't so then isn't the the sacrament of confession so a recognition that you you still need to have some form that allows for dependence and atonement. Because this is their formula. But right. But if that were all there was to the formula, you wouldn't need confession. Well, you do. That that is what activates God's redeeming okay. grace. But you but you still have to when 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 the priest gives you things to do to atone for your sins, you do have the sort of the same sense of doing things to get to make the right. But ultimately, it is God yeah. who redeems from yeah. sin. For us, what I try to tell them is that makes no sense for us. Mm -hmm. What is redemption from? Confession. No. Well, for us. From other people. No. From, our, from a condition that we call slavery. There's no connection between redemption and sin. We are redeemed from slavery. Right? When you redeem a coupon... I give you the coupon, you give me 50 cents. <clears throat> how have I, rede I redeemed this? What is that action? I give something in a form it's not meant to be, and when it's redeemed, I get its real value. <laughs> Two quarters. That's what it was always supposed to be. But it isn't that until I redeem it. So human beings were never meant to be enslaved. When they are, they need to be redeemed for what they were always meant to be, which is free people. There is no connection for us between this idea and this idea. Christianity took this and went to, what is the slavery? The slavery is that we are human beings and we are sinful and there is no way out of that. And originally sinful. And originally sinful. And the only way we can be redeemed from slavery is to be redeemed from sin. The sin that we did to cause the slavery? Is that how it's called? No, it's just, it, well, yes. The original, I mean, the, that we messed it all up from the very beginning. So that's, that's that. I don't know Wait, how Amy, we went there. What, not that we're having a Christianity lesson, but what is the difference between sin and original sin? Original sin is that sin which translates to every human being as part of the human condition. By being born human, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and therefore, as their children, as their offspring, we carry the stain of that sin. And that is something we cannot remove. Without the blood, I should be very clear, we're being on a podcast, um, Christians believe that, that we can't earn forgiveness for that. Certain types of Christianity believe you mm -hmm. can't earn forgiveness from that. It had to come through God's giving, God's son, to redeem humanity from the slavery of that original sin. It, we couldn't do it on our own. But we don't. We, Jews do not believe that. No kind of Judaism believes that there is any sin that translates to an infant. Right. Infants are born pure. They are born without sin. Right? And, you know, bar and bat mitzvah really is about, you know, it's a, in some ways, Rick will challenge me on it, but mm -hmm. in some ways, it's a, it's a darker thing than we really talk about, which is, you know, the kid now can sin. Like, you know, like, Scott, like you're responsible. Now, now it counts. <laughs> now that piece of bacon, is like, you know, like, <laughs> the little X and the, you know, like, so. Um, the opposite. I'm with you 100%. <laughs>
But th so that idea is that children are by nature not capable really of sin. Like so, this idea of you know confessing at six is like anathema to use a Christian word. So on the, on the subject of blessing and giving blessings, um, yesterday I was walking down the street and a woman stopped me and asked about the shirt I was wearing, which said expressing motherhood, and it's a play, it's a play that I'm in. And I said, that's a play I'm in about motherhood. And she said, let me give you a blessing. Mm -hmm. And there on the sidewalk in front of the Methodist church, this woman walking her dog asked me my name and blessed me. And it was a beautiful experience to have this openness. And I, 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 I let her go with it. I, I opened it up. She blessed me in her tradition, so that was okay. But I just think it was, I wanted to share that because I'm just thinking about this, and in particular with the discussion of the Jewish and Christian, and it's, she blessed me in the name of Jesus, which I was okay by because I knew that to her that really meant a lot, and that the spirit of it was so um, giving and peaceful. And so to take then today this blessing here, and to, I will definitely pass forward that notion of giving somebody else a blessing just for whoever they are and what they happen to be doing as they're walking down the street with their little doggy. So, um, were you at all uncomfortable at any point with it? Um, I, so I had a moment where I knew that I needed to consciously shift <laughs> to being accepting of something very different. And her countenance was so different from what you usually encounter, busy, busy, busy. So it was actually a very lovely experience because it took me into a really different moment that, than what you're normally having you know, when you're between errands. Right. Um, at the end of our rabbinic conference in March, um, the facilitator who was doing the closing circle asked us to, to stand in a circle, and we did, and we had the lovely, you know, words or whatever, and then said, now turn to each other in pairs. So we did, and they said, partner A, talk to partner B about what it is that you need in your life right now. <laughs> then partner B was to bless partner A with what they heard this person needed. I want to tell you, it was so uncomfortable. These are rabbis, rabbis, standing with other rabbis. It was so uncomfortable, but because we like to play well with each other and follow instructions and, um, and we trust each other, like we started and it was amazing how quickly the room shifted. And it went from kind of that nervous kind of giggling to, to um, a really different place. And, within moment, the minute partner B started talking, meaning started blessing, people started crying. Like it was, it's just a profound experience to open oneself to being blessed. It is, it is a profound experience. And, um, and it's a vulnerable, you have to make the shift and open up to receive it. Um, so there is a vulnerable component to it, but it is such a beautiful thing to do for one another. Um, so I think we need to put it back in the Friday night service um, and have people bless each other. Well, maybe the on new Friday senior night. rabbi will be able to influence. Maybe that. the new senior rabbi will do something about that. Would somebody please share that information with the new senior rabbi? Um, it, in some synagogues, it is. On, on Saturday morning, it is, it is part of the Amidah. And so in many congregations, that is the moment that you, know, you put your talit around each other and, and bless each other with the priestly blessing, that we bless each other um, with this bracha as a powerful. The uncomfortable part having to think about what you need? Well, that wasn't fun, certainly. Um, sharing that was no fun. Um, but it, just... He, he, just yeah, the vulnerability of of sharing, and then and then having someone put their hands on you and like it's just it's just an it's just a different place for us. It's very uncomfortable. Went to being nice. 
to receive amazing. Instead of to amazing. It was but amazing. But Amy, didn't you say when you graduated from the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College that they took the zappage out of that? Correct. But the other movements, you know, at the um, the culmination, if you will, everybody gets zapped. Mm -hmm. Right. But you did. You didn't get zapped. No, we just graduated. <laughs> We got, a, we got we got handed a diploma. We we got our master's degree, our master's in Hebrew letters, five years full time for a master's in Hebrew letters. Um, so that's what we got. We did not get zappage. Um, what is this word? So the we we did not get we did not get ordained. We did not get ordained in the other movements. The people of authority whoever that is, the dean of the college or whoever, um, they actually lay hands on the candidates and give them smicha. And that is ordination. And, you know, it's kind of this idea of translating the, or transferring the, Rick knows my terminology is zappage, from Sinai. Right? God to Moses. Moses puts his hands on Joshua and gives Joshua smicha. After Joshua, right, it's the elders, right, and, and then it becomes the 71 members of the Sanhedrin, right, and so from, te from teacher, and then it's teacher to student after the Sanhedrin was no longer, the rabbinic authority who had the, the uh, ability to decide halacha, to be an adjudicator of Jewish law, then places their hands on their student and gives them smicha, and that is how they become a rabbi. Um, so in seminary, in reform, conservative, and orthodox seminaries, that, that is what is happening. Um, Reconstructionist Judaism made a very conscious decision not to ordain rabbis. That rabbis do not have any special powers that come to us from Sinai. That we have a degree that we studied for that gives us expertise, and that's all. That every Jew has the same access to the same energy in the universe that is God, and ours is no different. And then we had a lovely discussion, which is why I think Rick remembers this. We had a big discussion about, is that really true? I said, yes, Rabbi Rubin said no. <laughs> right? You know, he said, we can't pretend that, that our words and our actions don't have more power and meaning in the lives of Jews than anybody else's. And so, um, so, so I amended my statement to say um, it shouldn't in some ways. You know, like, I mean, that we should un really understand that we are a member of the people of Israel with a special amount of learning and a special dedication, but not special. But you're asked often to give blessings. And, and do so happily. Why, why wouldn't you want your rabbi to have something special, and that special may mean something different to each one of us. You don't have to believe in God, I don't have to believe in God, per se, or Zappage, to know that when my member of my clergy gives me a blessing, that, you know what, it is something special that somebody else doesn't offer me. So that's just my own personal take on it, that I, I'm willing to accept your zappage anytime. Excellent. Well, then let's do that. Let's uh, let's close to our study with, um, if you feel comfortable, um, touching the person next to you on the shoulder or somehow connecting. This is how we bless each other. May God bless you and may God keep you. Ya'er Adonai panav elecha v'yichuneka. May the Eternal's face give light to you and show you favor. Yisa Adonai panav elecha v'yasem lecha shalom. May the Eternal's face be lifted toward you and bestow upon you peace. And we say, Keni hiratzon, may it be God's Amen. Amen.